um, beginning in verse 51. If you want to go ahead and, and turn there or, or type that in. We've been working our way through Luke now for the last few months. We will continue um, in Luke until we finish. Um, that's typically our MO here, so we're working through a book uh, chapter by chapter for however long it, it might take us. Um, just we, we haven't reminded ourselves in a little bit, um, Luke begins saying, my goal in writing this, this gospel account, right, is that it would be an orderly account of the life of Jesus, right, from the, the announcement of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, through the life of Jesus, um, then into uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and he follows it up with a sequel into the book of Acts where we have the, the first generation or two of the church. And so he's looking to write this orderly account for Theophilus, you know, this, this non-Jew patron who's, who's asking, but it's also a benefit then for now 2,000 years to those who have read and seen his accounts of the gospel story, of the good news of Jesus. And last week, um, as we, have, we, we saw, not the transfiguration last week, that was a couple weeks ago, but what we've seen now was a lot of the disciples' um, miscues and, and failures, actually. Um, last week, there, there was the inability to cast out a demon, although Jesus had commissioned them to do this. Um, they, they failed to understand some of the, the calling that Jesus has, has called them to in, in suffering, um, to understand that He's going to be a different type of Messiah than they anticipated. Um, they're going to argue about who's the greatest, um, and then fail to include others, even though Jesus has just taught them to do this. And so we just kind of saw a lot of missteps on behalf of the disciples right after they had three of them had just seen Jesus' glory unveiled in the transfiguration. Right? And so we're seeing that they have a long way to go. They have a lot still to learn, which is encouraging for us, right? That it wasn't an expectation of, you've been with Jesus, you got it all together. Now, figure, you know, but it, there's a, a process to this. And so I want us to pick up in verse 51, um, and we're going to continue to the end of the chapter. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, Follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What, what we're going to see this morning is, is a pretty significant shift um, in Luke. Right up to this point, we've had the birth announcements, and then we've had Galilean ministry. So Galilee is to the north, Jerusalem is to the south, um, and, and Jesus at this point is saying, I'm, gonna, I'm setting my face to go to Jerusalem, like I'm headed there. But this is not going to be a chronological trip from the north to the south. 
really what Luke is going to do is he's going to combine some things that happened along that way, and it's really more of a theological journey to Jerusalem, um, that he is headed now towards his death, right? Towards his betrayal, towards um, his sacrifice. And the disciples need to be prepared. We've seen that last week, that they're not understanding, they're not grasping the type of Messiah that he's going to be. They're not grasping yet their role. So there's preparation that still needs to be done. And so what we're seeing here in Jesus is a resolve. I know where I'm headed. It's intentional and it's purposeful. Like I'm not being fooled into this. I'm not going to be baited into this. I'm choosing to go to Jerusalem, although I know what awaits me. Right, because this is our rescue. And the disciples are needing to grasp and understand the type of Messiah He is and their role in carrying the mission forward once He's gone. This section is a huge um, part of Luke. It's going to really go up to chapter 19. We have roughly nine or ten chapters to go in this section. And a, and a, and a good portion of it is unique to Luke. It'll be different than you see in any of the other Gospels. Um, we'll also see that there'll be more sayings and proverbs um, and parables going than as many miracles. There will still be some, but really the last few weeks we've just seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and that will, will die down a little bit. You'll notice in verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. We just see this resolve in Jesus, that he's going. There's grit and there's determination and, and when it says the days drew near for him to be taken up, um, really, this is a, a theologically kind of loaded term here because Jesus is going to be taken up um, at the cross, right? His sacrifice on our behalf. He's going to be taken up in resurrection, right? That death will not hold him, that he will come out of the tomb, and that he will be taken up in his ascension, right, back to heaven, awaiting his return where he will reign in the type of power that the disciples currently believe he's going to exhibit now. Right? That will be the way that he returns. And so in this argument that they've just been having about who's the greatest, the reason they're having that conversation is because they're becoming increasingly convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is powerful, that he is capable, like that nothing seems to come against him. Right? The demons um, are cast out. That, that nature quiets itself and calms itself, like that he is, he, that when he speaks life, death runs, right? They're seeing him and going, okay, maybe this is the one, and now we're headed to Jerusalem, man, we're going to wreck shop, right? Like they're thinking, we're going to like throw Rome out, like the, the powers are coming, like let's go. And so they're asking, and who's the greatest? Like who's going to get to like be side by side with Jesus? Who's going to get to sit on the throne in the kingdom? This is going to be impressive, and we get front row seats. They're not grasping the significance of what's happening in the type of Messiah that he's actually going to be. And so, on the way from Galilee to Jerusalem, it would actually take um, to get through the area of Samaria three days. But most Jews, most faithful Jews, would not go through it. They would go around it, adding some time to it. Because the Samaritans... Um, are a people that there was a lot of hostility. Um, they were considered, um, it, it's probably not uh, culturally appropriate, like a mixed breed, right? Like that they had Jewish blood, but they were not fully Jewish. There was um, religious differences. They had taken some paths outside of um, conservative Judaism and believed some things differently. They worshipped in a different location. 
And so although they were similar, there was enough differences that, that open hostility had emerged. Ethnically, um, religiously, there was a lot of prejudice and a lot of hostility back and forth between these two groups. And so often a Jew, just in order to not have to deal with it, would go around, and yet here we see Jesus going into the heart. He sends people ahead, and they are rejected. Because they realize that Jesus is a Jew, that he's headed to Jerusalem, and it's just like, yeah, we, we don't want anything to do with this. We're going to see further interactions with the Samaritans later in Luke. But here, you can imagine the disciples... Like, their zeal and vehemence for Jesus' honor is like pricked, right? Like, you don't know what you're missing. You don't know, like, you don't know who he, like, and they're enthusiastic and they're angry. And James and John, who, by the way, in Mark, we see that they're called the sons of thunder, um, are like, Jesus, smite them. Like, let us call down fire from heaven. Like, judgment will rain down and they will not. Right, they'll know that they've rejected the wrong person. And you can almost imagine here they're, they're, they're going, like, it's, it's for your honor, right? Our zeal for you, but it's also, we don't really like these people anyway. And we think you could do this. And we're going to Rome anyway, and there's power, and like your kingdom is coming, so that means judgment. Like, I'm not sure if we can do it. Maybe we can do it. Can we do this? And Jesus rebukes them. Right? Like they wanted instant judgment. What they don't yet seem to grasp is that judgment is coming. It is. But it's going to come in Jerusalem. And it's not going to come on the guilty. It's going to come on Jesus. What Jesus is prepping them for on this trip, right, is judgment is coming. But it's coming on the innocent one, the Messiah, the Christ, the Holy One, will have judgment, the wrath of God poured out upon him on behalf of these guys who occasionally do really foolish things and say foolish things. And on behalf of us, for our sins, things that we've done, the things we haven't done, the things we've thought, the things we've desired, the things we've chased after other than Jesus, the way that we have rebelled against him, that judgment is coming, but it will be poured out on Jesus. Because we're in an era right now where, our, where grace is going to far outrun sin. And he's saying there's, there's, there's time and there's patience and there's grace. Right? We're going to see Samaritans respond differently even later in Luke. And what's important for us to note here as well is the disciples themselves are going to need this grace. They're going to reject Jesus. They're going to forget. Right? They're going to go. They're going to need the same grace and the same lack of immediate instant judgment that the Samaritans need now, they'll need as well. And where we can often be quick to say, Jesus, get them, right? We're really glad to embrace grace for ourselves. And Jesus is helping them understand, listen, judgment is coming. It's just not coming the way you anticipate it. It's not coming in the way that you think it will. Listen to how Peter will later write about this. This is... 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 8, he says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Right? He's saying, listen, the type of judgment they're wanting to call down actually does come eventually. We're still awaiting that. And when Jesus splits the sky, when He returns, He will return not as humble King, but as impressive King, as glorious King, where knees will immediately bow in allegiance or out of fear in the time of grace, in the time of, of trusting Jesus' work for us to not receive judgment will be gone. And judgment will come. And we'll either stand there covered by the blood of Jesus who has taken our judgment for us, or you will stand there and you'll receive judgment in that moment. Right? That, that moment will happen. And Jesus is saying, but not now, not in the way that you anticipate. You can almost imagine the disciples assuming that Jesus can pour out this sort of fire here, or they can, to justify that they're the good guys, right? Like that this is, we're, we're bringing force and, and we're going to do it the right way. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 the way forward is actually weakness. And it's humility. And it's suffering. And it's going to look different, and yet it's going to impact the world. And the Gospel is going to go forth the good news of Jesus in power that God is pursuing us and bringing us back to Himself. And so He rebukes them. We don't get to know what the rebuke is. He turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. And we're going to see some further correction now. There's three quick conversations about discipleship. And He's going to make sure we understand the significance of what this discipleship looks like. And we're going to see how He's beginning to prepare them for what's taking place. And the first is this. Look in verse 57. So they're going along the road, and someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Right? And, and you can imagine this scene. Right? We, we don't know the motives of the person, but um, sometimes these passages read like the one who, um, they just assume that things are easier than they think they're going to be. Right? Or maybe if you have several kids, right, and one of them's in trouble, and one of the other ones goes, I'll obey you, Daddy, right? And, and all the other kids are like, I'm going to kill you, all right? Like, you're, you're, in, like you're, you're sucking up here, right? Or you have a student in class that does this. And, and so you can imagine the disciples hanging back a little bit. They've been rebuked. They've been getting it mostly wrong, not right. And, and someone comes out of the crowd. The crowds continue to follow and just says, well, Jesus... I'll go wherever you go. And it sounds right, and it sounds beautiful, and it sounds good, and yet Jesus knows our hearts and our intentions and our minds. And He goes, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. What's He saying? That following Me is costly. That it's not as easy as you think. It's easier to say that than it will be to do that. So consider the cost. That this place isn't our home and it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be comfortable. He's saying, I'll be your security. I'll be your peace. I'll be your approval. I'll be your hope. I'll be those things. This world's not going to offer it. And just so you know, you call me like Messiah, Christ, King. Do you notice that I don't have a place to lay my head? And the servant is not going to be greater than the master. Like, you're, you're, you're asking to follow a difficult path. 
and it will not look like you anticipate it looking. We'll come back to this. The second person says then, or actually Jesus says to them in verse 59, follow me. And, the, and this unnamed individual says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Like, this feels shocking to us. We can't actually really fathom how shocking this would have been to a first century Jew. We're, we're taking care and honoring um, your family, especially in burial, was, was paramount. What Jesus is saying here would have made everyone go, wait, what did you say? Like, that is offensive. I cannot believe that you're saying that. Like, you can't mean that. Like, Jesus, correct yourself. Like, what, what do you mean? But Jesus is speaking with hyperbole here. He's trying to draw our attention and to draw a contrast. We know that Jesus isn't saying that it's wrong to go to your parents' funeral. That's not what he's saying. We know that he's not saying that you should disrespect your family. How do we know that? Because we see in Scripture that says if you don't care for your family, you're worse, worse than an unbeliever, right? That we're, we're called to honor our mother and our father. Like This is the thread throughout Scripture. But what Jesus is saying here is I'm calling you to allegiance to me, and there may be some hard calls in your life, some difficulty. Because very likely what this individual is actually saying is not that their father is currently dead and we're just going to bury him later, or potentially not even that he's sick. It's just like, let me take care of the things in my life. And once I get everything sorted out, then I'll do what you want me to do. God, when it, when it, Jesus, when, it, when it's more convenient for me, I'll do it. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The king is calling. And when the king calls, you follow. Show allegiance. There, there, there will be difficulty in this life, and are you willing to face some of that difficulty to follow me? Folks, one of the, the things that we, we witnessed while we were in the Middle East was specifically in Yemen, who is, is conservative even for Middle Eastern standard, was that if a, a, a neighbor, friends, like if a Yemeni family began to be too friendly with the gospel, right? Like they're asking too many questions, they're seeming a little too agreeable, like maybe they're not going to, maybe, just maybe, the Lord might save them. What's allowed in their culture is that, that an extended family member, the government, someone can come in and say, we, don't, we no longer trust you with your children. Like we're no longer sure that you're going to raise them to follow Muhammad and to be faithful Muslims. And so we're going to take your kids. And they're ours, and there's nothing you can do about it. And we'll place them with a family who will make sure and point them back into the faith. And that family in that moment can go, oh, no, 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 never, no, never mind. Never mind. We don't want Jesus. Like, we want our kids. And they're like, ah, we're not sure we believe you. Like, so even if they haven't yet converted, even if they haven't yet trusted Jesus for salvation, if there's simply enough like, familiarity and, and welcomingness right to it, that they're willing to have their that folks are willing to take the kids. Right? Like that's that's a call that is like going on today for brothers and sisters in the Middle East of like, are you willing to potentially follow Jesus at the sake of some really difficult things happening in your life? And so Jesus here is using this strong language to say, Allegiance to me is costly and it will affect things. 
And so I'm, I'm shaking you out of the doldrums. I'm making sure that you hear me here. Like the, that following me is costly. We're going to see that it's worth it, but it's costly. The third one, in verse 61 and 62, um, he says, and yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, this seems like a reasonable request on the surface. Like, hey, Jesus, let me bury my dad. Hey, Jesus, let me go and tell people bye. And what we're being reminded is that Jesus said, like, I'm coming to, and I'll, I will discern the thoughts and the intents and the motives of people. I know your idols. I know your concerns. I know the things that are going to compete for my attention and my affection. And here what he's saying is you can't follow two things at once. You can't like take me and then go do your thing and say, all right, Jesus, I see you. Like, I'm, I'm watching you, but I'm going to do this. Or he said, or you're going to follow me and then look back behind and long for your former life. Saying, I don't want lip service here. I don't want someone to just say, okay, I'll, I'll take the heaven piece and then I want to do my life. And church, we hear people talk like this in our region of the country. Like you'll hear parents or grandparents or someone say, I just want to get my kids saved and I'll let God sort them out someday. Like whatever, however they live, as long as I get them saved. What does that mean? Like that we don't see that in Scripture here. He's saying, you're following me or you're following the world. There is no in-between. There's no just lip service in getting saved. He said, it is difficult and it is a path and you are following me. Israel as a nation looked back. Right? If we, if we look at Exodus 16.3, right? In that scene, right? They've been rescued out of the hand of Pharaoh. They're in the wilderness. They're headed to the promised land. And they start to grumble and complain. And they look back and say, you know what? We should go back there. At least we hadn't meat in our pots. We were slaves and it was horrible. But we're, it'd be better to be there than to die here. Right? What are they doing? They're going, hey, we've been rescued and redeemed. Man, do you remember? And they're looking back to where they were enslaved and longing for it rather than rejoicing in their rescue and in their freedom and of where they're headed. It's, it's a microcosm of the life that we're in now. That when Jesus comes, He comes to free us, to take us away from our harsh taskmasters, to make us His. But we, our promise of where we're going is we're not there yet. So we're in the wilderness, the difficulty of this life, and there's a temptation to look back and go, and that was easier, or that was comfortable, or, that was, or there was more pleasure. Jesus, are you enough? Are you sufficient? Is where we're going really good enough? Are you really with us? Are you really going to care for us? Should we just go back and be slaves and eat meat by the pot? Jesus is saying here, put your hands to the plow and you move forward after me. You don't put your hand on the plow and try to plow like this. He's calling us to some hard things here. In Scripture, we also see Lot's wife in Genesis 19. She looks back when she was told not to. Turns into a pillar of salt. In Hebrews, we have the warnings. Hey church, don't, don't drift. Don't go back, like keep moving forward. Put your hope 
and your eyes on the horizon, right? That there's a promise and a reward coming, and Jesus is enough, and He is sufficient. As we wrestle with this passage, bury my dad, kiss my family goodbye, these are good excuses. They are reasonable excuses. And that's the point. You're supposed to see the reasonableness of them. You're supposed to be uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus says no to them. That's the point. That we are always going to have an excuse as to why we'll follow Jesus later. And not all of them will be, right, because I just want to keep on sinning, Jesus. It can be some good things. Some things that no one would 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 shake their head at. God, when I have kids, then I'll make Jesus priority. Oh God, I'm just when when my career gets a little more stable, right? When we're not so financially uncertain, then I'll make Jesus a priority. Jesus, I'm just I'm working hard. I'm raising a family. I'm 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 working. But when I retire, you got it all. Like you're you're all mine. Right, like we, we can begin to think through these things in ways that we can do this. God, after college, like let me go sow my wild oats, do the college thing, and then I promise I'll, I'll want you after that. Right, that we can imagine some reasonable cultural excuses. And ultimately, what we're saying is this I'll get to it when I want to get to it. And what is it? Obedience. And you say, no, no, no. The king is calling. And when the king calls, we respond in faithful obedience to him immediately. Not when it is more convenient. When he calls. We can contrast this with the disciples earlier in Luke. When, when Jesus calls them, what do they do? Like They throw their nets down. They get out of their boats. They leave their jobs and their things. And they're just like, okay, we're following you. Like We're supposed to be reminded of that now as others are coming and going, hey, but let us do some things first. Jesus is saying, no, when I call, we follow immediately. I'm enough. I'm worth it. I'm sufficient. You will get the things that your heart longs for, security and hope. These things are coming. Jesus is giving us a clear view of discipleship. I love that it is not a bill of sales. He's not being slick here. Sometimes I think the church can hold Jesus up like he's just begging us, please trust me. Please. Like, I'm good. I'm good. Come on. And Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? It's going to be hard. The world's actually not going to be your home. And you're going to be despised and hated by people. Now, I'm worth it. But don't, but don't get it twisted. It's not going to be easy. He's saying, I want you to bow your knee. Follow me. Remember earlier in this chapter, he says this in verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his, his life for my sake will save it. He's saying like, you're going to, following me means denying yourself, taking up your cross, bowing a knee and coming after me. And yet, often what we hear in the church, or at least in some, 
We want Jesus because He's done this. He's taken the judgment for us so that He will make so that He will make this life easy and comfortable for us. That we will have health, that we will have comfort and ease and wealth. Church, we will get all of that eternally in the kingdom of God forever. Right now, what he, we, what he promises us is Himself. That I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That I will be with you to the end of the age. And you will have security and hope and peace and joy and harmony. But this life, because this isn't our home, will be rough and will be difficult. So do you, are you willing to follow me through the midst of it? Because this isn't our home, there's a competing call for approval. And the world will say, hey, you want our approval. You want our cultural affirmation. You want us to say that you're good and that you're right and that we're pleased with you. And what the world is saying is bow a knee to culture, to the whims of culture. But what we know about it is that it's fickle and it's temporary. And you can't, like, if you try right now to please the culture, you would feel crazy, right? Going, okay, right now we care about this. Okay, wait, now we care about this. Wait, these are contrasting each other. Yes, we care about both of them. How? Right? Like, you would, you would feel like you're losing your mind. And it's because the culture of this world, right, is a harsh taskmaster that wants to enslave, to make you continue to earn and work for merit and approval that you can't actually grasp and that they can't actually promise. Because it's not lasting. It's not eternal. It is temporary and it fades and it is smoke. And Jesus is saying, see, that means to follow me, you will gain right my acceptance, my approval, my security, my hope. But it means you're going to take shots through this life because the culture isn't going to like it and is not going to be pleased by it to have someone poking holes and not bending their knee to Pharaoh, right? Not bending their knee to the culture. Saying you shouldn't be surprised when things are hard or difficult. But you're getting me, and I'm going to be sufficient. That's going to be the whole theme of this journey to Jerusalem is that He is showing them, I'm going to be enough even when the hard thing happens even when you are shocked by the way things go and the way the Messiah will be treated, I'm telling you, I will be enough. This is for them to prepare them, but it's also for us. And it's important for us to note of the three here. Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever. Hey, it's not as easy as you think. Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you, but let me bury my dad. Are you going to trust me or not? Hey, Jesus, let me go say goodbye. We don't actually know how any of them respond. It's not clear whether they, they follow or they walk away, or whether it's a mixed bag here. And that's intentional from Luke, because he's putting the decision in our hands. Are we going to follow Jesus? When he, when he calls us to this life, when he says, I'm enough, will you trust me? Will you long for me? He's asking, will you follow? knowing that the world's comfort and approval won't come. The difficulty will. He's asking you, will you follow? Is he worth it? 
So the question for us that we need to wrestle with and allow the, the, the contrast of Jesus saying, hey, don't go bury your dad. Hey, right, that, that hyperbole. Hey, you can't say goodbye. Right? What's competing for our attention and affection this morning? What is it that we would want to put our hand to the plow and then look back at? What is it right, that's going, ah, Jesus, yeah, I do want heaven, I do want you someday, but this thing has me now. What is it? It, it could literally be different for every one of us. And so would we allow the, the way that Jesus responds to the folks here saying, I will follow you wherever you go, would we allow this scripture to impact our heart this morning? let the Spirit impress upon us the thing that is wrestling for Jesus' affection and attention and our willingness to follow. What we're going to do now is the, the band's going to come back up. We're going to have an opportunity to, to sing, to make much of our King who is alive and well and on His throne, who took judgment for us and who will one day split the sky and return as conquering king. Like that day will come. It will. We're going to stand and we're going to sing to Him. And the Lord's Supper has been set out. And so if you um, belong to Jesus this morning, um, would you at some point during the next three songs get up, whether as an individual, as a family, with friends, there's three tables set up, will you go and take the cup and the bread Reminding yourself that it's not because of your merit that you are His this morning. That you have hope. That your circumstances don't dictate your life, but that Jesus does. Because His blood was spilt, not yours. And His body and that bread was broken, not yours. He tasted judgment and was forsaken by the Father so that you don't have to be. You can stand and you can sing. You can sit and let the Spirit minister to you. You can move to the back and, and pray with someone. You can take the Lord's Supper. All of these are opportunities for us to respond to Jesus this morning. But if you're in the room this morning and you've actually never trusted Jesus, you're the one saying, Jesus, I'll follow you maybe. Right? Like, and you're seeing that the call is real, but it's hard. But Jesus, I want you. I want you. I confess that. Then, then the response then is baptism. Right? That is, that is the, the, the act of a believer saying, I trust you and I want, to be sh- I want to show the world that I'm marked by you. That it's me, dead in my sin, buried with you, and coming up covered by you. And so if you need to talk about baptism, if you need to talk about salvation, there will be some men and women in the back. They're there to pray for you. They're there to talk about that or anything else that's going on. But would you respond this morning, whether it is in um, belief, whether it's in confession, whether it's in Lord's Supper, whether it's in worship, and whether it's even in making right a relationship across the room. Would we respond because King Jesus is calling us and we will bow a knee to Him and Him alone? Let's pray. Father, we want to be Yours. We want to be Your disciples, following, trusting, depending upon You. Lord, would we not be surprised by the difficulty of life, by hard circumstances, by a lack of approval from the culture, God, but would we be able to stand on the solid ground that we're Yours, that You see us and that You've called us Yours, and that we are traveling to the promised land where we will have You 
and your kingdom and pleasures forevermore. Because you are our King and our Rescuer, our Creator, our Savior, and we want you. Father, would we be the church to one another, that we would link arms and pursue you together so that when one struggles and stumbles, God, that that we bear those burdens together. God, that we would know that this, we're not meant to do this alone. That you've called us into a family. And Father, when we're tempted to look back, that others would remind us of where we're headed. Would we be that for one another? Lord, would you speak, would you move, and would you work in this time? In Jesus' name, amen.